Welcome to my podcast, Today's Dream, Tomorrow's Reality. My name is Vicki Poole, and I am a master transformational coach specializing in habit change. And this podcast is sponsored by The Enlightened Peach. And it's all about embracing our mosaic life. And some of you may ask, what is a mosaic life? Well, it is recognizing that all the pieces of our life, the good, the bad, the indifferent, have all come together to make us who we are. Change any one thing and we are different. With that in mind, I invite you to embrace your perceived imperfections and celebrate who you are. This podcast is unedited and raw, just like life. And I am your host. And today I have a special guest that I will introduce in just a moment. But if you have any ahas or questions, even appreciations, please leave a comment or a voice message. And remember to do the usual thing, like, subscribe, and share. So now let's get started. So this gentleman right here, and I will say I don't know him really well. Um, his name is David Shimzad. That's pretty good. That's Did pretty I good. <laughs> yeah, that was that, that was better than you did the first time before I know, we started I know. recording. That's good. Shamzad, David Shamzad. Shamzad. Okay. Shamzad. Yeah. Okay. All right. And um, he's from Oakland, California, married and has a 15-month-old baby. It's a little girl, little boy. Little boy. Little boy. What's his name? Yeah. His name's Reza, R-E-Z-A. Oh, that's interesting. I love it. I love it. So I'm going to let you go ahead and um, just tell the listeners a little bit about you, um, because I am so excited about hearing more about your story and sharing mm -hmm. it. Well, thank you so much. I, I want to say real quick, I, I'm glad to be here. I love your podcast. I love the idea behind your podcast. Um, and I love what you're doing with your podcast, trying to inspire others and um point to point to our obstacles in life as opportunities for amazing growth and inspiration. So that's why I'm here and, and I'm glad to be here. Um, Thank you. David Shamzad. Yeah, I'm from Oakland. Um, to give a, a quick summary, because we'll we'll get into we'll get into more depth as we go. But um, I am a CEO of a real estate company here in the Bay Area. We've got uh, we've been in business for like 10 years and um, we've grown We've been fortunate to grow a lot. I've got about 50 employees here and um, we do investment and um, asset management and brokerage and um, um, a lot of fun stuff on the investment revenue or investment real estate side. But that's kind of, and I got a wife and a 15 month old, um, but that's kind of the end of my story. The, the beginning of it is rewinding uh, the clock a little bit to um, you know, when I was in my early twenties, when things took their most, um, significant turn in my life. And I was after a couple years of, um, they started small and manageable, um, but, but pretty intense mood swings, like feelings of depression that I had never experienced before and feelings of what I know now were our uh, mania that I had never experienced before. Um, and those getting worse and worse and worse to a point um, where I ended up in the hospital. And I ended up in the hospital because somebody took me there, not on my own will, but uh, um, took me there after they found me um, trying to commit suicide. And mm -hmm. 
this was like almost 20 years ago now. Um, and I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and, uh, unfortunately like the next 10 years, um, yeah, it, 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 it didn't, it didn't go the, it didn't go right in the direction of, of healing and recovery, um, and learning how to cope. Um, you know, it, it was more like it went in the direction of, um, self-medication, um, was, was really my problem with it and, um, abusive drug and alcohol use, particularly alcohol and, um, uh, making my symptoms worse and um, not keeping it a secret and really tell anybody what was going on. I mean, they knew right. that I was drinking, but nobody really knew why or what had happened to me. Only like a few people in my life, including um, my girlfriend at the time, who is now fortunately um, my wife. And um, that's pretty much it. And nobody else really knew because I was a pretty much like, like a lot of people are in our country and particularly younger people and particularly young men um, felt like a certain kind of shame about it. It, it's, it feels certain, like it's a weakness, which that's the way people portray yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It felt like it was a weakness. Like, why are you sad? Why are you depressed? Like get over it kind yeah. of thing. Um, Just decide. Yeah. <laughs> and so I kept it under wraps and I didn't get help. And instead of, treatment I just kind of self-destructed and um um that went all the way up until like about 10 years ago where I got to a point which which maybe we'll cover later um where I, I was able to stop um self-medicating in particular stop drinking and haven't had a drink since it's been like 11 years just about nice. since I've had a drink um and that was when that was that pivotal moment when like the obstacle turned into a launching point for me when I started getting started get rolling as an entrepreneur and um a few years after that uh started the business and that's now the business that i'm running that's continuing to do really well i started the family um so that's all the beginning of the story and going through all that is it's kind of what has like led me to where i'm at now i don't think i'd be where i'm at now without a lot of the challenges that i went through and i certainly wouldn't be in a position to talk about those challenges and, and hopefully reach, reach people who are maybe at the same spot that I was. Right. Right. Well, let's kind of go back a little bit to kind of early on in the story. And um, you were, were, when you were first having all of these episodes and you really weren't sure what it was um, yeah. and you said, how long was that going on before you did try to um, commit suicide? Do you know? A couple of years. Yeah. Okay. T typically most mental illnesses set in like in your early 20s about 75 percent of them of the time uh bipolar depression a lot schizophrenia a lot of them will set in in your early 20s um okay. well you know they're the actually right diagnosing people a lot younger these days really? um, with yeah. that as well yeah yeah it's a very eye-opening statistic and you know mm -hmm. I don't they don't really know why I don't know why but I just find it um it interesting that young people yeah, yeah. I mean part of that might be because the the dialogue around mental health is is changing and people Maybe. are actually yeah yeah different kind of attention to it but um in my early 20s and um you know it started with like 
to be honest, like I always felt like I was a little different this way. Like when I was a teenager, um, like when I did feel sad, like I just had a feeling it was different than it was for other people. Like I didn't, when I was sad, I felt like I didn't belong in the universe or something like, yeah, like it was over. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, well, it was more like if, if, if I was talking to you now and I was, and I was in, you know, kind of a bad place, like I, I would feel uncomfortable to the point of like, I, I feel like I'm on stage talking to another person. Okay. Um, and, and then it would kind of be like from there, it would be like a few days a week where just getting out of bed or like brushing my teeth or taking a shower these weren't like inconveniences. They were like monumental, difficult tasks that were literally hard to do. And I think like people don't really understand that. Like it's sort of like just get over it, like get out of bed. Like it's it's not quite like that. It's 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 almost like there's gravity pulling you from doing simple things like just getting up and going to school or whatever. Um, so it kind of started with that. And like it, it would be like that for a few days at a time. Yeah. I could function, though. It, it wasn't like. I could still force myself through. So why do you think you were able to force yourself through? Was there something that was driving you Um, with that? Yeah, I think that was sort of like my attitude towards it was like, I don't know what's wrong, but I I think, I, I think a strong person would just keep his, shut his mouth and just sort of, grin his teeth and bear it that was kind yeah. of my approach because I didn't really know what was going on um but I'd always done sports all my life and I approached it that way I'm like just push through this like it's a workout like it's a like it's a race like right well you know just to, just to share real quick I, I dated a guy one time many many years ago and he would have times that he was so fun and easy to get along with mm-hmm. and then other times it was like he, it's like he wouldn't have a conversation and mm-hmm. he would just want to sit. And I, I remember one time, cause I've never had that, you know, I've had problem times where I've got a little depressed with something and maybe a little sad, but nothing to yeah. this level. And so I just didn't understand it. And mm-hmm. um, so I asked him and he said, you don't understand. He said, it's not regular depression. He said, it is mind boggling depression. Yeah. And Um, and I, I, we ended up not being able to continue dating because I couldn't understand and he couldn't quite grasp it. And my being upbeat kind of pissed him off, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, so I, it's, um, and I probably did say one of those things, just get over it. I don't know, but because it's been a long time ago, but I can kind of yeah. see me saying that because since I never experienced anything like that, to me, it's like, if I got sad, you know, I could do things and make myself feel better and then I'd be fine. And so yeah. I just felt like that was something that everybody did. And so I think it's great that you're talking about all this because anybody that might be dealing with someone that has the same issue or that has that issue, just seeing your story and hearing how you manage to get through it, whether it's a, a, a long story of getting through it or not getting through it is amazing. And they can see a light at the end of the tunnel kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's like, I think that response of like, they'll get over it is 
pretty typical. And that's why, and that's probably why people don't talk about it. And that's, and that's like, and that's why I wasn't talking about it at the time. Yeah. So, so those, those episodes started to get worse. And like, if I wasn't feeling depressed like that, I was actually like, I was having episodes that, that felt like the opposite. And I'd have like a few days where I couldn't sleep. Like I didn't need to sleep. Didn't really want to sleep. I was so revved up with energy like the way I talked to people, they described it to me as like almost indecipherable. I was talking so fast to them. Um, I would do dumb shit. Like I would max out my credit cards, like I buy whatever, like I didn't need, I didn't need stuff. I just bought it just because I just felt compelled to always buy things and like drugs, um, partying, alcohol, I just wanted like more and more of it until I crashed. And then I'd, I'd have episodes like that. Um, I tended to lose a lot of weight when I was in those states of mind. My mind was racing. I, I didn't really have an appetite. So I just kind of vacillated between these like very extreme moods, like go right. figure. Um, but I didn't know what it was called. And I, I, Vicky, I just started to think I was going insane. Like whatever that means, like going nuts. Like I just thought, okay, I'm going, I'm going insane. I got to figure out how to hide this thing and like function. Like I didn't, it wasn't more complicated than that. I really just thought I was going nuts and I'd have to just live with this new paradigm that I was in. Um, and uh, like I said, eventually it just, it continued to go down that path and get worse and worse. And so did it seem it, like the episodes of one extreme to the other, did those, did they happen? Um, where you were in, don't they call it manic? I don't know. I don't even remember. I don't know the terminology, yeah. but um, when you were on the really up thing, did it last long? And then suddenly you would pop into the, the yeah. downside. That's right. So it, it was, wasn't like no in between. It was like either no, extreme either way. Right. It would. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that was one of the really scary parts about it is I could go to bed feeling one way and wake up um was in a completely different world and like to wow. describe that to you this was kind of like this was the so this was like the last day before i was like hospitalized and diagnosed right so let me take you there so i'd been like i think i had like a two-week work shift so i worked with uh, i worked with at-risk kids at the time right so I, I lived in a residential treatment facility so job was intense already so i worked for about two weeks straight without any days off I had been like doing great. I didn't, I didn't even care. I didn't need the days off. I was doing great with the kids. They were in line. Everybody was following what I was saying to do. I wasn't sleeping much, but that was, but I was fine. Uh, I would just drink a little at night just to kind of help me get to sleep. Um, and I was rolling. It was good. And I finally had, I had my day off finally. And I had like, like, a, like an amount of energy that I, just, I can't really describe to you now. I just felt like I could run through walls. And so I had it in my head that like I was going to go for a 50 mile bike ride and then I was going to run a half marathon. So 13 miles. Wow. I didn't like, that is some intense energy. Yeah. I didn't do that stuff. Like I was in good shape and um, I, I rode crew in college. I played basketball in high school. Like I was, I could, I was active, but I wasn't like, you know, marathon type of stuff. So but I had the idea like, oh, I can do that today. And I was just like, I went out and I just got on my bike and I rode 15 miles and I felt like nothing could slow me down. And I wasn't really hungry. Like I didn't need water. I was just going. And then I got back and then I went for this run and I'm just like, 
bounding along. I feel like not, I feel like I couldn't possibly get tired. And then with maybe like a couple miles to go, like I finally ran out of gas and I kind of just coast home. And I, I had been playing like I was going to go out and party tonight, but like, no, I think I can finally just go to bed. Like, I feel good. I don't need to drink. I don't need to stay up late. I'm just go to bed and kind of numb, you know. And then I woke up. So like eight hours later and I went from that two weeks of like bright sunshine, euphoric. Everything was brilliant um, to what I would say was literally the, the worst feeling I've ever had in my life. I woke up and physical, uh, my mind, I was in such anguish that I could almost feel it physically. I felt like there were shards of glass like broken in my head. Within 30 seconds, I, I knew that I had never felt this bad before in my life. I knew it was, and I believed when you're in that state, like, it's not like, oh, I'm having a bad episode. Uh, this is going to suck for a few days. You don't think that way. What, what you feel is like, I'm having that. I feel this way and I'm going to feel this way for the rest of my life. There's, there's no computation of like, where you can just stand back objectively and just be like, okay, this is a bad week for me. I can tell I've been through this before. Even though you've done it before, you always believe in that moment that it's like, you're going to feel that way forever. And, and I believe that. And like within within minutes I was like in a full panic and my mind was racing and I'm like, I'm looking for someone to talk to because the idea, the thought of being alone, like was just terrifying. And so I find like my boss at work and he's like, Hey Dave, you know, good morning. You know? And I'm like, I can't even talk. And i just start sobbing the second I try to open my mouth. And then he's like, Oh shit. You know, I, I let me go find someone. So he goes and gets the, the, the psychologist that worked at the center and but I couldn't sit still. So I left his office and before the guy got there and I'm like kind of went out behind the buildings into this like wooded area. And we always carried a knife on us because um, it was an outdoor setting. Um, so we did a lot of outdoor stuff. Um, and so we always had a knife on us. And in that moment, and I've only been awake for like 20 minutes at this point. Um, and but I'm convinced that like the only way I feel better is if I cut my wrists open and like let the pain that I was feeling bleed out of me. That was the only like thing that made sense at the moment. And so I'm in this little wooded area. I got my knife out and I start pressing into my skin and I'm just like watching the skin twist and contort. And I'm thinking, I remember thinking that skin is a little bit more like leathery than I had thought it was. It's a little, it's not that fragile. It's actually kind of tough. And then that's the last thought I remember having. And then this guy, who saved my fucking life, but um, who I didn't know that well at the time, um, he like ran up from behind me and grabbed me like a bear hug and kind of pulled me to the ground. And then I fell asleep. I don't remember anything after that until I woke up um, in a hospital, in a white room and with white walls and white sheets and white everything. And I had um, a little intake uh, bracelet on my wrist. Um, and I was at a psychiatric hospital in Rhode Island and uh, spent like a couple of weeks there. And I was medicated so heavily for the first few days. I don't really remember. Like it was like dream state, like catatonic. And, um, you know, 
know, after like talking with a bunch of doctors and after being having all these mood stabilizers and antipsychotics and antidepressants kind of tried out and run through me. Um, yeah, they diagnosed me with bipolar and told me what had been going on and that I'd been experiencing manic episodes and depressive episodes. And so I spent time there like in group therapy um, and learning about the diagnosis, um, learning about dual diagnosis, which is like mental illness and substance abuse together. Mm -hmm. um, and I learned a lot. And then like when I got out of there, I just was like, okay, I'm good now. I'm good. Mm, I'm going to yeah. just like famous last words right? this away. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay. It's like when you get chicken pox, like you get yeah. it once and you're good to go. Yeah. And I just was like, I treat it that way. I told everybody that I had gotten really sick with the flu and oh, no. um, you know, people believed it because like I was a really high performer at work. Like I was really energetic. I wasn't someone that like called out sick a lot or ever. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like people knew something was going on. Um, but I was different then. And I was much different then because I was on some really heavy medication and that energy was gone. That, that zeal was gone. Was all the emotions gone? So you were just kind of in the middle. I was like a zombie. Yeah. yeah. Um, and like that went away a little bit, like, you know, a lot, a lot of the medications and I, the ones I was taking then, some of them I'm still on now, 20 years later, they take a long time. They take a while to kind of stabilize. Um, but I got off some of them, especially the, the ones that were most hardcore, which were really just to like keep me safe, you know? Um, but yeah, I just was like, but I started medicating myself, you know? Um, I'm like, I'll, it was better to be on antidepressants and mood stabilizers. But the thing that made me feel best was just being drunk. Okay. You know? And cause that made me feel comfortable. That made me, I could And sleep. it's a more acceptable way to just sit and socialize too. If you were socializing, did you socialize during that period? Yeah. 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 It took a little while. Like there was a period of time when I really couldn't, couldn't really talk I couldn't talk to you like just the muscles in my face felt heavy to talk it was I was so I was so down and that was like that was medication starting to yeah like take get its foot in the door in me um but yeah I socialized I just wanted to be normal again and um drinking was the thing that made me feel most normal um and it let me sleep. If I, if I was feeling depressed, it would take the edge off. If I was feeling a little manic, it would like make that feel more fun. Everything about it just worked for me in that illness. Um, and there's alcoholism in my family. And my dad was a, heavy, a very heavy drinker. And he drank you know, almost every just, day. Just to add real quick, I, I, I was even having this conversation with someone not too long ago. If you watch movies... It is so normalized because almost every show that you watch, if they have a bad day, the first thing they do is they pour themselves a drink. They either go to a bar and have a drink or they go home and they have a drink, whatever it is. But it's like mm -hmm. I haven't seen one in forever that that was not their go to at the end of a day or yeah. a stressful situation. And, I, I you know, like I said, I was having this conversation. I, I thought, what is going on that that? That's the only way they show you how to deal with things. Yeah. You know? So it's, yeah. it's, oh, that's, very that's right. 
totally. And like, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't have any judgment of, of, you know, anybody drinking or anything like that. It's just, it is dangerous and it, and it really can hurt people. Um, and it can hurt people in particular who like have a mental illness and, Mm -hmm. um, or, or, or a bunch of physical, um, uh, conditions. And yeah, it's to me, like, it's dangerous if you're using it as a crutch for not dealing with something. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and so for me, that was just, that was just kind of how I lived. I, I like, I basically just lived to kind of get to a point where I could drink again. Uh, every day, evening was sort of like, when can I get something more to drink? And like, you know, I mean, it, it started like, it, it it got worse as time went on. It didn't start like that, but like within a couple of years, it was pretty much like, okay, cool. Well, I'm, I'm out at a, I'm out at a restaurant, but I can go to the bathroom because I brought a flask with me and take a little bit uh, more, a more whiskey down before I get back to my wine at the table just to get more in me uh, faster. Yeah. I wait till like, okay, cool. Like I'll just go get a round of drinks for my friends. But while I'm at the bar, I'll, I'll take two shots that I just get for me just to get ahead of everything. And then you just start thinking that way. And all of a sudden you're like, you're in a relationship with alcohol and like you you're more, you're more loyal in that relationship than you are to your, your partner, because like, you know, you're, you're sitting there having dinner with your, your girlfriend and, and you're listening kind of, but you're also wondering like if it's too soon to order another beer you know, is it appropriate mm. to like step up yeah. real quick and get rid of a drink? And like, it changes the way you just think like throughout the day. And, you know, I was going to work, like I, I was working, but it, I was, it was half-assed and I, you know, you, you convince yourself that you're functioning, you know, that you're like, well, drinking's not getting in the way because I've, I've walked through the door at age 59 and therefore like, yeah, I'm, you, you were a functioning alcoholic basically. Yeah. But like yeah. that, that, that term's kind of bullshit because yeah. <laughs> I wasn't, fu- what was I functioning at? I was functioning at like, well, I 10, think to 10% me, of my capacity. When they you say know? functioning, it's that you're able to not have people come up and say, you're a drunk man. You're, yeah. you need to leave. And I think well, they, they think it, but it's not at the point where you have to get. Yeah. 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 And so I was kind of in that spot and I was, I was in real estate, but I was, I was an independent contractor. So like you don't really get fired you just stop making money and then you kind of show yourself out right um so i was producing less and less and i started working like some doing some hourly stuff to just like keep enough money in to pay the bills and my girlfriend is like getting more and more and more concerned um about how i'm doing and then like eventually um yeah, eventually it got so bad. Like I started getting arrested. Like I, I would, I'd get in fights, and like when I was drunk, I wasn't like silly. It was like it was angry. And it you're was mean, animalistic, and it was as mean. It was I was just like in a state of despair, and it and I acted accordingly. So yeah, often I was mean. Often I was sad. Um, I was like, yeah, I was reckless for sure, and. Um, I got arrested like three times um, towards the end. The UIs are like, just the no. Bar. So I never got never got a DUI, which is which is like I still no. find remarkable. Yeah. incredibly fortunate that I never forget a DUI. Just fortunate I never killed killed anybody driving a car around because I yeah. definitely did it. Um, but um, 
No, it was always like fight. It was always fighting. Like that was pretty much it. It was always acting out, getting aggressive, um, fighting, like probably getting my ass kicked because starting, starting a fight with three people. Um, and yeah, it got to a point where my, you know, my girlfriend, I think was like, I can't really like wait much longer for you to figure this out. I can't like, I can't like wonder if you're coming home at night, you know, and like yeah. get a call from jail. Like that's not a life that I can live. I, I can wait. Cause she saw, she was with me when I went to the hospital. Like she knew what I was actually dealing with. And so it, like she knew it wasn't just like sheer carelessness, you know, it was something much deeper, but like, even with that, she was getting to a point of like needing to step away and take some time. And, um, that all got to like the last day I ever drank, which was like, you know, it, it, it was starting to really get fractured with her. And, um, you know, it was after she told me like, you know, she, she didn't know if she'd keep watching this up close anymore. Um, so I'm like, I'm alone. And the only thing that I feel, the only thing that feels safe and secure to me in the world is alcohol. And I'm like, well, alcohol can't leave me, you know, that's no matter what I do that it'll always be by my side. And I just was like, I kind of felt like I was done and deteriorating and I was okay with that. Um, and I felt like, you know what, I, it was funny. I, I actually thought at the time that like I had figured something out that nobody else knew like a secret mm -hmm. where I was like, nobody else realized like, this is a great life. Alcohol like never leaves you. It never, uh, it never won't show up. It will never tell you it's busy. It'll never say it's got plans with somebody else. This is brilliant. And I actually was like pretty, I was okay in that, in that world, in that mindset. And, um, but it was bad. And like, when you drink it that much, like you black out very easily, like blacking out is kind of a, a, you throw it out there a lot, but like really blacking out is different where you don't, have any recollection at all and it doesn't take that long it starts happening after fewer and fewer drinks and so like one night about like almost 11 years ago um i was out and like all my all i barely got people didn't even want to hang out with me at that point but i got some people to hang out with me and we, we got drunk but everybody left and i ended up like out by myself and um yeah i've been like I had been real drunk, obviously, many, million times, but I always remembered something. I always remembered like a sight or a sound or something that she said where you could wake up and piece it all back together. Mm -hmm. But this thing was di different entirely. And um, at a certain point, I stopped remembering. The last thing I remember was like being outside, having a cigarette. And then next thing I know, you know, I'm home the next morning and I'm like, I'm all fucked up and I've got like, got a lump on my head and I've got bruises and I mean, it looks like I got my ass kicked, but I probably had. Um, then I go to the mirror and there's like, there's dried blood all over me and I've got like blood in my hair and on my clothes. Um, and I'm like freaking out. Cause I don't have, I have no idea. I'm not like, Oh yeah, I got into it with that fucking guy. I don't remember anything. And which means anything could have happened. Yeah. And like eventually I'm wondering like, well, how did I get home? And I like find my keys and like, they've got dry blood on the keys. I can still see it actually. And I'm starting to really worry that like I drove myself home like that. So I go outside and Did I'm Did you like, have cuts on you? Was the blood from you? Well, I didn't know. 
Okay. I figured it probably was, but like I had no idea. And I got to, so I went outside and I'm like, I got to find my car. Like hopefully my car is back on the other side of town where I left it. And so I'm like walking up and down the street, like pretty much in a panic, you know, that any, in any second I'm going to see my car. And like, sure enough, after three blocks, I see my bumper and I'm like devastated, you know, and I get up to my car and I'm like, there's like, there's blood on the handle, you know, um, on the outside of the car, like on the door. And then I get in and there's like blood inside. And I'm like, I have no idea. I'm like, I hope to God it's mine. Right. I hope to fucking God it's mine. And it probably is, but I really didn't know. I'm, I'm, and I'm like, I'm panicking that I like hit and run or like, you know, I, I hurt somebody. And I, so I run back inside and I'm, and I'm online, like on the uh, SFPD website, seeing if there's any like hit and runs reported because I have no idea. And like, I don't find anything like that. So like sooner or later, I'm like, okay, obviously like I probably just got my ass kicked and got back into the car. It seems. Um, but that, moment was different because I mean it it shouldn't have taken that long to realize it shouldn't take any time to realize but yeah you're like the way I've been going out and the way I've been like hurt somebody kill somebody and like I can do whatever I want to myself and like maybe I don't care if I die at this point but like who what right do I have to like destroy someone else's world you know and what right do I have to like have a partner who's been trying to help me, you know, get that phone call that like I'm in jail because I got a DUI or, or, you know, hit someone on the road um, or, or died myself. And I'm, and I, it took that long, but I finally felt with real empathy all of a sudden what it could feel like to be on the other end of my actions, you know? Mm. Um, and I didn't know that morning that that was going to be the last time I ever drank, like no chance. I, I didn't think that, but I knew something was different. And then, um, I, um, I checked myself into the, uh, chemical dependency recovery program. Um, because I, I knew I needed, I knew I needed to do something. And I met this counselor there and she was, she was amazing. She's one of these, there's a few people along the way that I feel like are angels that, help keep me alive. And she's one of them. And she just basically, after talking to me for an hour was like, you're not going to survive this, you know, like straight up. She just told me you're not going to survive. And I believed it. She's like, you need to give yourself, you need to give yourself a month. You know, you need to not have any alcohol in you for like a month. You have to give yourself that. Cause I don't think you're going to survive. I was like, Whoa, you know, I'm like, I believed it. It was heavy. And, um, I didn't. I gave myself a month, like just like she said, like one day, and just clicked off days. And I didn't think that I'd never have a drink again. But it was an awful month. It was a fucking terrible month. It was so physically and mentally uncomfortable. I, I mean, bet you, you yeah, haven't you felt see. your emotions or pain. It's been all liquefied and yeah. Well, and just like physically drinking yeah. alcohol that much and then weaning off, like without weaning off it. Yeah, it just feels awful. Yeah. Um, but like I made it to a month and then like I decided at that point that like I wasn't done and I, I knew that like I couldn't go back to it for a while. And so what I did was I, I wrote an email to like everybody I knew, like everybody whose email address I had basically. And I wrote, 
you know, some friends and people I knew a little bit, just like if I had your email address, I would have read it to everybody I could. And I, the email basically said, you know, like um, not long ago, like I woke up and I had blood all over me and I didn't know how I'd gotten there or what had happened. And I knew at that moment that like, I need to never have another drop of alcohol in me for like, for a long time and maybe forever. And I just want you all to know. And if you want to help me, great. Um, at least know it so that you know what I'm dealing with. And if you want to take a walk with me or go to the movie or do anything to help me out, like that'd be great. And, uh, and I hit send. And I mean, I felt it was really hard to hit send at the time, but obviously everybody already knew it anyways. That, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it wasn't like a secret. Um, and that was, and How that did was people the best react? thing I did. Oh, I mean, it was amazing. Like, obviously my girlfriend was just, you know, she was, she's she's is the reason i am am here today and i mean that like kind of figuratively but i mean it like very literally like if she wasn't there and if she had fully if she had never come back and like stayed invested in me like they're just i just wouldn't have done it you know like hang her hanging on by a thread was like the thing that kept me around and um but then like my friends and the people close to me were incredible they were just like this is like the, the smartest thing you've ever done. And this is the best news I've ever heard. And like, let's go see, let's go see a movie. Let's go shoot hoops. Like whatever you want, just pick up the phone and call, that you know, and so that was pretty cool. much everybody's message. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, um, and then people that I didn't know as much kind of started reaching out just to check in and kind of like, cause when you're in that, you're, you're kind of like, you got to stay, it's very hard to stay in those lanes and it's very easy to, to relapse and, um it was the power of those people that kind of helped me do it um because it's like if you make a promise to yourself like okay i'm gonna go to the gym three times this week but you just tell it to yourself inside your head like it's pretty easy to bail you know yeah okay vicky no matter what you're going to the gym three times a week and then it gets to friday and, and you haven't done it but like if you commit to your friends and you're like hey Dave, me and you, we're going to the gym together. Uh, you know, and we're not going to let each other down. That's different. And then we go to the gym because you've committed to somebody else. And like the act of the act of that vulnerability and telling all those people that what I was going to do, that was, that was where I got the strength from because I had let myself down and I had been letting myself down for a decade. Like that was easy at that point, but letting down, my girlfriend and then all those people who I just said, give me one more chance. Like, yeah, go give me a shot to like be your friend. And that is what kept me going was that promise to like my team, my family, my community. And, um, shit, that was, you know, it was 11 years ago. And like, that that's like, that's when my life started, you know, that's when things got cooking for me. Cause like, w- without even really trying that hard either, like, it wasn't like I quit because I wanted to be better at work or like be a better partner. Like I quit because I didn't want to fucking die. Like yeah, yeah. That, that was, that was why I quit. Um, and I didn't want to take anybody with me, but then all of a sudden, like I started to regain my, like my mental capacity to think and solve problems and be creative and be engaged. And all of a sudden I'm like doing great at work, like little by little all, without even really, trying to make that a primary focus like work is going really well and then like my relationship without 
it wasn't like I said, oh, I, I'm quitting because I need to be a better partner. It, it was the act of quitting. All of a sudden, I mentioned earlier that, that you, you're, when you're addicted, like you're in two relationships. You're with your, your partner and then you're with your, your real partner. Right. But like I broke up with alcohol and all of a sudden I was fully loyal again. And like all of a sudden without even really realizing it, like my whole heart was, was, you know, was, um, was, was back too. And I was loving her, not with like a split heart, but like all of it. And so mm -hmm. our relationship started to thrive. And so like work is going great. She's starting to trust me again. And we're like rebuilding our life. And then all the little things, like I can go for a run, I can get back in shape without feeling like terrible all the time. And I started going to, I started not skipping my psychiatry appointments. And I started taking my pills like every single morning on time, no ifs, ands, or buts. Um, and I started to, it took a while, but I started to be more and more accepting that I had a, a mental illness and started to take it a lot more seriously. I, I was still very quiet about that part of it for a long time, for like many years. Um, but I at least was starting to go in the direction of um, taking steps towards self-care. The, the biggest one being not abusing drugs and alcohol, because that's the first thing they'll tell you. It's like, you can't, you can't really treat mental illness if you're, if, if you're abusing drugs and alcohol that much, because it affects your mental health. So right. it's like, a, it makes it a moving target, you know? Um, and so little by little, like after about two or three years, I was feeling so positive and strong about where I was headed that I decided to start a business. And I was like, Part of it was like, I wanted to get away from the same office I'd gone into every day in sunglasses, like all haggard. And I just wanted a fresh start. Uh, and that was a great group of people, but I just needed a fresh start. Well, and I think when you make this huge a life change, you have to change other things too in your environment. You can't go yeah. back to the old environment because it's too easy to slide back into the familiar then. Yeah, and that, it, I think that was part of it too. It was like, let me just change the scenery all around me and yeah. get some new habits, get get a new route to work, get a new everything. And just give me like a huge project to focus on too. Um, and I didn't really know what starting a business meant. Like the nuts and bolts of it were um, unfamiliar to me, but to say the least, but I was like, let's just do it. You know, this is a, this is a new life and I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. And I figured like, if it didn't work, I was going to go back to law. I was going to go to law school was my, my goal and I started prepping. I took the LSAT. Um, and fortunately the business started to take off and like, so how did I, you decide on this business? Cause at that point I'd been working in real estate for three, um, how long? Yeah. Like four or five years. And so that was what I knew. That was what, you know, I had established some proficiency at and I figured, okay, let me just go do what I've learned to do and what, um, but just do it for myself and do it for, you know, this new company that I formed um, and, you know, do it better and do it in a way that I'm really proud of and, and start fresh. And um, yeah, so I just started, I was like, I was a commercial real estate broker. So leasing, you know, office and retail space, mm -hmm. you know, um, and you can imagine what that looks like. And then from there, just, decided to go get my own clients and start doing it for myself and then started doing a little more. And then we, you know, I got, a, I got an assistant and I got, a, you know, my, our, our first uh, couple team members and now I have a few more people doing it. 
And then we expanded our business to apartment buildings. So we're like, we're leasing and we're managing a bunch of buildings, commercial office, apartment. Um, and then just kept going from there. And then we started investing in buildings and um, buying our own properties. And now we've got our own investments that we're, that we're running, plus doing transactions and management for other people. Um, and now we've got like, we manage about like 2,500 apartment units and, you know, we own about, you know, about, uh, about 10% of those are, are, are ours. Um, and we got about 50 people, um, between our, our staff here and all of our community managers at various buildings and our, uh, accounting team, which is overseas. Like there's about 50 people that are part of our, our employee right now. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we're just getting, we're just, we're just getting started. Yeah. Right sounds great. So yeah. when you think about, um, the things that you've been through and that's, it's a lot, um, mm -hmm. how do you feel the things that you went through? How has it gifted you in some way to be able to exponentially grow yourself now and your business? Um, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it's, because I know there's always a golden nugget that's really pushes you to yeah. a different life. So it pushed you to quit drinking and take care mm -hmm. of yourself. And so I'm just, I'm just curious if there's something you can mm -hmm. filter from yeah, that. I think so. I, I would probably say this is like something I tell myself every day and um, sometimes multiple times a day. And it's something like, it's something random that, that our coach said to us when I was like a freshman in college. And it wasn't even like, he's had a lot, he said a lot of things. He had like a saying and a story for everything, but this was more just something he said along the way, like offhand. Mm -hmm. It wasn't part of one of his big speeches. Um, he said, choose courage. And it was like, you know, it was just, uh, it was the one Friday before practice. He was trying to get us fired up for like a weight circuit, you know, just, you have the choice to, to choose courage. And I was like that. And that stuck with me. I, I made sure that stayed with me. And to me, that means like, you don't have the choice to, we don't get to choose what obstacles we're going to face. You know, mm -hmm. we don't get to choose if we're going to be like big or tall or rich or poor or, or grow up into this family or this world. Um, we don't get to choose if we're going to have a mental illness or a physical illness or a congenital heart defect or whatever the fuck obstacle is going to, whatever hand we're going to get dealt. The only right. thing we can choose is courage right now. And that's just how I try to think about it. I'm just like, okay, here's, here's where I'm at. I'm, I'm 30 and I've been abusing alcohol for a decade and I've got bipolar disorder and I've almost killed myself and okay, that's all behind me. Like, and I'm at this juncture right now. The only thing I can do is just choose courage. That's it. What, and what does that look like today? At, at that point in time, it looks like checking myself into the CDRP, the chemical dependency recovery program, um, stop drinking, tell all my friends and family. That's what it meant that day. But today that lesson is still here. And it's just yeah. like, okay, my goal today, I have two things I'm working, three things I'm working on right now. Like I want to be an amazing dad and, what does that look like today? What, what can I choose that's hard, that's difficult, that uh, requires some courage that helps me in that goal? Um, I want to be an amazing leader and business owner. And like, 
what does that mean? Yeah, it's not, I'm not picking myself up off the side of the road like I was at some different point in time, but I am, I have challenges every day at work and, and what are the courageous things I can do today to keep furthering my, my company for the sake of me and my team here? And then number three is I want to, I want to, share what I've learned about mental health and about substance abuse and about the opportunity that everybody has to rebound from those things. I want to share that with whoever wants to hear it. Yeah. And what is, how can I choose courage in that every day that doing a podcast with you work? Uh, I'm trying to get a book published um, uh, to sharing my words and being willing to have a conversation with a friend or someone that I know is who's in need. And that's courageous as opposed to just saying, well, that's their problem. Right. I'm good. I got, I'm making money. I'm not getting in trouble. I'm good to go. Like, leave me alone. No, like I want to do the courageous thing, which is like work towards being able to help people. So I think that's it. That's a long way to answer your question, but we don't oh, know. I think it was perfect. I, I, I loved yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I would say I wrote down, choose courage. Um, because mm -hmm. I think that's going to be, I've got, um, the word believe up on my, on my wall. So I yeah. think now I'm going to add the choose courage because that is there really, really cool. And, you know, wouldn't it be cool if you could reach out to that old, um, coach and say, this is my motto that I have because of you. Wouldn't that oh, be he cool? knows. Does he? he? Knows. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. He knows. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, yeah. He, uh, he left us with a lot of great words and stories and, you know, that wasn't even, that was, he wouldn't even have put that as one of his top 10. Yeah. That was yeah. The one that well, don't you find that that's what happens? We talk all the time and the yeah. thing that really moves somebody sometimes mm -hmm. was something offhanded that we said and not necessarily yeah. what we were saying on purpose to inspire. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and you know, the thing like with coaches and teachers and, you know, especially in the high school and all they, it's a very thankless task. And so I'm sure he has been so filled with joy with just knowing that he was able to make that kind of impact with you. Yeah. Oh, he, yeah. And then he made that kind of impact and connection with a lot of people through nice. his words. What was his uh, name or what is his Will. name? Will. Will. All yeah. right. So Will, if you see this, we are very grateful for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Will, Will was amazing. And, and, uh, he motivated a lot of us and he had, he had stories for everything. Uh, and, and he had, he had a way of making a, a life lesson out of every single fucking practice, you know, was a life lesson. So you had, so you couldn't go into it with like a ho-hum attitude, you know, today's workout, it's Tuesday, it's raining, but like the workout is life or death, you know, and it's like, ugh. and you have, but you have to bring that attitude towards it. And yeah, so I think that's, that's it. Like we don't really know what obstacles we're going to have, but like, and we can't control it, but we can just use courage and how we deal mm -hmm. with it, whatever that means on any day. How do, how do we chip away today at, at a bigger goal? And we can either like we can take the easy path today and get ourselves home and, you know, um, get to bed and start over. Or we can say, OK, well, I've got I've got eight hours today. Like what, what are the what's the most courageous way I can spend it to achieve my goals and just try to do or to overcome my obstacles? And you just try to do those things. And mm -hmm. it's like. And I would, I would tell people too, like, whether it's like starting a business or, or, or whether it's like, if, if that, if that counselor had said to me, instead of saying, Dave, you're not going to survive, you need, to, you need, you need to give yourself 30 days. If she had said, 
Dave, you're not going to survive. You need to be sober for 10 years. I would have gotten fuck out of there. There's just no yeah, chance yeah. that I could have done that. And so like, it's not about like, Oh, I, I want to be, I want to own a business that has, you know, 10 million in revenue. Um, but I don't, how do I get there? Like it, thinking about it that way, you know, like all oh, shucks. Well, that just seems too big for, for me to ever pull off. Like thinking about it that way, it doesn't really work. At least I don't think it works for a lot of people. Um, and it do, if, if it does work in the beginning, it doesn't work long time, because, long term because people give up because it seems like it's too hard and the yeah the, it's way too hard and it's yeah, okay and, to have a and, goal. and it's too far away they're not getting any anything right now um one yeah. of the things that i tell my clients is that we're not going on a, um um it's not a sprint it's a marathon so we're right. going to do this slowly 1% change every day can yeah exponentially profoundly change your life and just yeah. and that's what you did was it wasn't like she like you said it wasn't like she said you know you you you've got to do this forever and and right. you know and this is not the same thing but in a way it is i have a um a coaching client right now that um she was she was to the place where she wanted to live too and hers was that there's diabetes in her family and she was mm. could see herself on the same path that another family member had been on and passed away and mm -hmm. so her goal was, I want to live. So yeah. I said, well, this is what we're going to do first. The first thing you're going to do is you're going to stop all sugar. And at first mm -hmm. she had this look on her face and I said, it's not forever. You know, right. let's do, we're going to do a week right now. We're going to start with a week with no sugar. And then we'll right. talk about that next week. And that was doable because, you know, you can do anything for a week, you know, and then you get some momentum right. behind you and then you can do it another week and then you can yeah, do it totally. another week. Yeah. And that's like, and that's building a business. That's building 10 years of a life change under your belt. It's just like, okay, it's not thinking about the end goal. It's thinking about what do I do today that can help me towards that end goal. You can have that big goal. And like, we have a ton of big goals here at the company that we haven't hit yet, but like mm -hmm. every day it's just, okay, what are the things what would a company like that do every day to get itself there? And we just try to do that. And what, what would I do as a person to continue to uh, practice self-care and stay sober and stay healthy and stay on top of uh, having bipolar and just do those things every day. It doesn't need to be, you're not like hitting grand slams every day. You're just chipping away. And like you said, like taking a marathon approach. Um, and that's like, and that's just the goal. That's just the choosing courage today thing. It's just, I got these obstacles and what could I do today that's courageous in the face of them? And that's like, I don't know. I think if I do that every day, like I'll be all right. That's, yeah. that's uh, I think if everybody does that every day, like they're going to be happy with the outcome. Yeah. Know? So I tell everybody that's um, watching or listening right now to make that their, their daily goal, their daily habit is to sit down and, and do that exact thing. And what can I do today that's courageous and whatever avenue of your life that you, you feel yeah. you need to be working on Heck at the yeah. time. Um, Heck yeah. So, well yeah. So thank you. Thank you so much for that. I, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. definitely going to put that into my, because <laughs> uh, I, I read in the morning and I journal in the morning, but I think I'm going to add that as my, one of my journal prompts. <laughs> I love it. I, I appreciate that. I'm glad it resonated with you. And yeah, and 
maybe uh, maybe it'll resonate with, with a few more people who hear this. Yeah, I think so. Um, well, I want to ask you one last question. And sure. you kind of already answered it in a way, but I want to just hear, um, what do you want the legacy that you leave to this world? What do you want that to be? Hmm. Um, that's an amazing question. That's a, you're going to finish with that question. That's a tough one. Last question. <laughs> is, then it's home. Well, I'm going to give you a minute. I'm going to give here. you a minute and it doesn't have yeah. to be huge. Um, Mm-hmm. What do you want to be remembered for? What no, do I, you, I, yeah. I, I, that's, it's interesting. Like that, I didn't think about that, that often or really at all um, until I had a son or I had, I had, until I had a kid. And then I started thinking about like, I started thinking about that question. <laughs> yeah. I just started thinking about that. Like, huh, who do I want his dad to be? Yeah. Who do I want? What do I want him to say when his teacher's like, tell us what your dad does, you know, or when their friends say like, oh, like, tell us about your dad. I wanted to, I started to think about like, what the answer to that I wanted to be. And like, and that all means like, what kind of example would I leave the person most important to me? And so I think that's how I define my legacy. And I think that would be someone that, um, stigma around mental health like that shit's got to go right that's that's a big thing that i want to have i want to have i want to play a part in chipping away at that because like my life is just so much different than it was in its darkest darkest days and like that could still very easily be my life like assuming i I, i'm still alive that could easily still be my life and the reason it's not is because fortunately i was able to not on my own, but like with help and through some of my own grit, I was able to be vulnerable, accept that I had an addiction, accept that I had an illness and start practicing self-care. But if we don't even let people acknowledge that mental illness is real, if we like let it be a punchline and say things like, oh, (laughs) need another mental health day, huh? Or like acting crazy, if, if we like don't let ourselves like talk about mental health in the way it should be, people aren't even going to get to the point of accepting it, let alone getting treatment. So I think that's what I, something I hope to leave behind or just, con- or just contribute to while I'm here is pushing that dialogue forward so that like if my son has, you know, a mental illness that it's not like, okay, keep it a secret. Don't let anyone find out. And just cope with it the best you can, even if that means like (laughs) uh, uh, substance abuse disorder. Like so that at that juncture, instead of doing that, you can be like, okay, I've learned about these symptoms. This is a real thing. It doesn't mean I'm weak or weird or different. It just means that I'm one of the five people that have some form of, of mental illness and go and get help. And like, let that be a small course correction. Just like it would be, you mentioned diabetes. Like we don't talk about diabetes that way. Like mm-hmm. there's th- we know now there are things you can do and it's unfortunate, it's not your fault, but there's things you can do to correct it. And like th- it should be talked about and maybe there, are, maybe there is some difficulty around judgment, judgment and stigma. I'm sure there is um, people who do have diabetes, but talking about mental illness more in the same kind of scope as we talk about 
a physical condition that people can understand a little bit better. And right. um, if my legacy can be in some way related to helping people through that um, and helping more people see um, mental illness for what it is, which is just, it's a condition like anything else that can benefit from some treatment and some therapy and um, ongoing self-care, then like that can make a lot of lives better. So I think that's what I would like to do. Yeah. That sounds yeah. amazing. Yeah. And yeah. that will be definitely a life well-lived and making um, gold out of what you've gone through. Um, yeah. Just real quick, you may already be aware of this, but it's something I've shared on my podcast before. There's a Japanese um, art that's called Jimsy. I don't know. But anyway, you can look it up. Um, but it's where they take pottery that has gotten cracks in it and they fill those cracks with gold so that it makes mm -hmm. this piece of pottery that ha all these flaws, it makes it beautiful and makes it stronger. Oh, that's really it, interesting. Kinsumi, I think is what it's called. But anyway, yeah. it's it's a form of pottery. And if you, okay. ever, if you decide to go and look at it, it is just amazing to see mm. these pottery pieces and how much more beautiful they are after they filled these cracks. And I feel like when I'm talking about the mosaic life that we have, I feel that it's the same thing. It's taking all of our little broken pieces, putting gold around them and mm -hmm. bringing something beautiful out of it mm -hmm. and stronger because we are stronger people from any of the adversities that we've dealt with in our lives. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Yeah, I think I can, I think I can picture it. Like I've seen, Pictures? An example of yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Um, not not knowing its its origins or what it was called, but yeah, I think I'm familiar with what you're talking about, and it is beautiful. Yeah, um, it is. But knowing the knowing the spirit behind it makes it even more um, yeah yeah compelling now. So I see you as that. You're oh, the the pottery with the gold, and Thank it you. makes you more beautiful, and you're stronger. And appreciate that. Um, I would say your wife and your son are very blessed to have you have have become this strong mm. man that you are. And um, I just want to applaud you and I applaud you for being vulnerable today and talking about mm, this mm. and being able to put the emotions that you have to the side and kind of put them forth for the greater good of anybody that may be suffering with mental illness. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, I appreciate you saying that and, and thank you for bringing us together and creating a space to do it. Yeah. Well, keep, keep doing that. Thank you. So I will ask right. everybody one thing. The best way to predict the future is to create it. So I want you to think, mm -hmm. what are you creating? So I will um, I will see everybody again soon and um, be blessed. Mwah. <laughs>